Welcome to The Wheel of Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. Today, we will be covering chapters 4 and 5, The Gleeman and Winter Night. Enjoy. All right, we're going to get started with episode four of the Wheel Reads. Um, uh, tonight we have a lot to cover with the, the Gleeman and Winter Night. I know uh, my co-hosts, both Chris and Ian, are really excited to get into chapter five, Winter Night. Uh, I think they want to skip chapter four, but we'll get into that eventually. <laughs> um, so before we get into that, I just want a couple of housekeeping things. I uh, wanted to give a shout out to uh, everyone on Twitter and the whole social media community, Twitter of Time, just how supportive everyone's been. Uh, the Black Tower has been out there, uh, uh, definitely promoting us a whole lot. Uh, Will the the wheel, the wheel of Time News, um, as well as been supporting us. Uh, uh, Wad Up is a YouTube channel. They actually uh, featured us on their latest video uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, this will come out next week, but it was just yesterday for us. Um, for you guys, it'll be a week ago. But uh, they're a great source. Uh, go check them out as well. Um, it is that is not spoiler free. So if you're a first-time reader, don't recommend checking them out. Um, same with Black Tower Podcast. They've been helping us out as well, but also a very spoilery um, type of podcast for Wheel of Time. Um, the other thing as well as we did is we did a promotion. Um, I got two Wheel of Time books for Christmas. Uh, there's Wheel of Time companion books, and they're like reference books. And um, I decided just to give one of them away through Twitter and had a lot of, lot of support, a whole lot of uh, – of, of, of just engagement and, and people excited about a book. So I found when you give free stuff, people get excited and start sharing your podcast and listening. So um, I'm going to announce the winner for that. The winner for that is Valkyrie 305. So we'll be in touch. I'll get addresses, try to figure out um, that's the, the Twitter handle uh, to send where to send the book to. Um, and then, you know, we might do feature promotions like this in the, in the future, um, we do have a Patreon page. I've mentioned that before in our previous videos. Um, that helps support us. If we get enough traction there and people actually sign for memberships, then we can do more things like like book giveaways or even like T-shirts and all sorts of coffee mugs, pint glasses. You know, the more we have support, the more we can give back to our listeners. Um, uh, for us uh, doing this, we're doing this for free, um, and there is a small cost to it. Um, I, I take that. Um, whether it's just a little things here and there, but um, uh, not that we need the money, but if you guys could be so gracious as to support us, we definitely give back to you guys. Um, so moving on to some other things, um, quick analytics from last, last time. I'm going to This is the last time I'm going to do the analytics thing, things because it's kind of getting bigger and bigger. Uh, just really quickly. We have 12 countries listening to us right now, about half the United States, uh, which is kind of cool. About 25 States out of the 50. Hey. I don't know if we'll have all 50 because there's like no one that lives in North Dakota or Wyoming, Wyoming. But um, um, <laughs> if we do have a listener in North Dakota, no offense. <laughs> but like no one lives there, right? <laughs> I don't know. I will uh, travel there and find somebody to subscribe. I will go door to door. Nice. So North Dakota, <laughs> if you know anybody in North Dakota, share this with them because we want them as a listener too. Um, but you don't discriminate based on your state, unless you're West Virginia. 
And then we're from Virginia, and we don't like West Virginia. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Chris, who has a lot of family in West Virginia, but oh no, there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, so, also real fast predictions from last time. I uh, just wanted to go through those. So, uh, Rider only the Dark Rider only shows the young people. Um, Dragon Claw. That was a good prediction. That that's what the symbol is. Um, Wisdom is uh, is the one on the white horse, and um, uh, the blight, which is up north in the map, is just a giant allegory for Canada. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding to I'm kidding to our Canadian listeners. Uh, obviously, do we one have of, any? No, we do. We actually have a lot of Canadian listeners, um, uh, a whole lot, and uh, and obviously, they're the most kindest people in the world, and uh, and lands up there fighting Canadians. Uh, probably they, they, have the, they have the best side of Niagara Falls too, so I've got a lot of love for Canada. Yeah, and, and they're the, they're nice people in general. I mean, uh, I, every Canadian minute is really nice unless they have a hockey stick, and then they turn yeah. really really vicious. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, uh, with that, I'm just going to dive right into um, uh, uh, chapter four. Uh, so the Gleeman. This is when we get to meet our, our another character, Tom. Um, so uh, uh, we'll start like we did every other episode, and this is going to be kind of short, but just the symbol there. So the symbol is a harp, and I think you guys – I don't think we have to talk about this much unless you have something you want to talk about, but probably represents the Gleeman. <laughs> well, I don't even think there's a probably in it. I think that's a definitely he talks about playing his instruments, even though harp wasn't necessarily his instrument of choice. Um, I think that's a pretty easy symbol right there. Sure. You know, some of these symbols are more cryptic than others. Uh, this is one that's kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, softball. Um, well, so the, next we get a kind of description of the Gleeman. Um, you know, we heard about his cloak from previous chapters and he got hints about him. So now we're actually meeting him the first time. We're getting a description of what he looks like. So I wanted you guys to get your initial thoughts uh, when you first get introduced to Tom as he stumbles out of, this, uh, out of, the, out of the inn. Well, I love the description. His cloak seemed a mass of patches in odd shapes and sizes, fluttering with every breadth of air, patches in a hundred colors. I'm sorry. If I saw that walking down my street, he wouldn't be anything special. <laughs> I'd be calling Eastern State Hospital, which uh, if you don't know what it is, Google it. <laughs> yeah, Eastern State Hospital is uh, our, our mental uh, <laughs> mental hospital <laughs> close by. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the, the you know all these patches, you know, one thing that I that I thought about with this, and and this is something just I I thought about actually listening to something else today, made me think of it was you know when you're a magician, you're doing tricks and you want things to disappear, having all these different patches and different compartments. It looks like, I mean, I'm not sure if that's how it's set up, but um, that's something I thought of that it might be to do with the act. But yeah, it would look really weird. Yeah, as as I read the description specifically on the cloak. Uh, you know, I just took it as it was, you know, practical more than just for show. But that's an interesting twist. I didn't consider that, you know, the sleight of hand and whatnot, because, you know, he's a, he's a performer uh, sure. that might that might aid in it. So good point. Yeah, because he talks about, you know, at one point he taps his pipe and his pipe just disappears, you know, and the balls appear and disappear. He's juggling. So obviously, exactly. he, yeah, uh, he's doing some kind of sleight of hand there. Um, and then he starts, you know, uh, talking to, um, you know, uh, our, our, our three guys there, uh, Rand, Matt and Perrin, and he comments on each one of them kind of, and 
you know, I, I think it's really interesting how he describes Rand and then, you know, uh, says, you know, he looks broad on his shoulders and uh, comments on his eyes and says, you know, you're as tall as an IEL man, which we have not heard that term before. What's an IEL man? But obviously he's as tall as him, um, whatever that is. And, uh, and then, you know, so get your thoughts on that as he's describing these kids and then also complaining about the rest of the village council and the girl child. <laughs> Specifically with Rand, uh, I mean, I go back to my earlier theory about, uh, you know, his dad not being his real dad. And the fact that this traveler, this glee man, Rand stands out to him immediately and, and straight up says, you know, well, there's characteristics about you that aren't from around here, commenting on his eyes. And he's like, I bet there's no one else around here with eyes like that sort of thing. Uh, so I don't know. And, and I'll get I'll get more into that theory when we get into the next chapter uh, on, on why I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to find out a, a different tale about uh, Tam and his dad and whatnot. I kind of love um, kind of taking a step back before we even go much further. The They really are really descriptive as to who or, or how the Gleeman looks. But then I think it's really cool, the expectation of how he thinks he should be treated. Because he's just like, you know, I cannot believe that like I arrived and I was chilled to the bone and ready for a warm bed. And your, innkeeper, your innkeeper grumbles about the hour as if, I were wandering swineherd and your village council hadn't begged me to display my art at the festival of yours. Like, I think it's just hilarious how this man who yeah. looks crazy, like in my mind, he's just like a crazy lunatic comes into town and has expectations of being treated as royalty. So kind of shows you kind of how backwater the two rivers is. <laughs> sure. And, th- and then again, you know, when he comes down and gets kicked out of the end, he's complaining about the village council again. Says they they turned and stared at me like I was their their brother in law coming to ask for money or something like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then a girl child uh, chased me out their stick, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously is the wisdom. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. I think that's easily determined at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this chapter, from the Gleeman perspective, we definitely get, well, we get his perspective on where people uh, fit the uh, gradations of society there. Like, he definitely sees this whole town is way beneath him uh, and all the people in it way beneath him. But he's going to run into somebody in the same chapter where (laughs) it's the exact opposite, you know, that he bows before sort of thing. So from his perspective, we kind of see the order of of where people lie. Sure. So, you know, that brings us to the next thing he says. You know, they ask him about the dragon. He actually starts condescending to uh, to both Rand and Matt saying, oh, old news. You know, even old in Barillon, which is the last place to know anything. And then he that stops. He goes, well, almost the last place. You know, obviously, you know, definitely sliding at this place. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, 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 you know, that, that they don't hear about anything ever. And then he notices that, you know, he sees the, the cart. He's like, Pat and Fane. So he knows Pat and Fane. Do you guys have any thought about that? I mean, it definitely, it, it triggered like the thought in my mind, like here's, they they seem to be traveling in, in a similar pattern. So like part of me wants to think that maybe the um, there's a deeper connection than just like a passing on the streets. And then there's that other side of me that's like, maybe different guilds just kind of know of each other like just in my mind it's 
the way the world works is you have different guilds and the ones that are more popular within the bunch kind of know each other. Um, or again, it could be that they have often traveled to the exact same locations. It's definitely not coincidence, though. I don't think anything at this point is coincidence anymore with these books. <laughs> sure. Our, our author is still doing a really good job of painting the picture of how uh, remote this area is and how cut off they are from the rest of the world um, and kind of setting our characters up, whoever might be traveling at some point, uh, just showing how naive they are because, um, you know, they they think these people showing up is just, oh, it's so amazing. The peddler's here. Yeah, this is this great event. Oh, my goodness. And then this guy is like, oh, yeah, the peddler, you know, this, this is more common. Uh, these are the type of people I run into all the time. No big deal sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I also like, I love how you can see that there is some animosity between the two trade people. I mean, I still see, you know, the peddler and the gleeman, they, they look like opposite factions because he said, Thane was always one to carry bad news quickly, and the worst, the faster. There's more raven in him than man. So there's definitely some scorn there towards Thane. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's worried about uh, the peddler stealing his thunder a little bit, you know, in, in some of the stories he plans on telling and news he plans on sharing. So, um, Another thing as well, uh, the Gleeman starts mocking them about when they start telling how far they've been. You know, they, uh, I thought that was just a funny scene where, where Rance is like, you know, we've been as far as, as, as the, I can't remember what he said, but, you know, we one time went to the swamps and he's like, I went to the mountains one time. Like, he's like, ooh, you guys have been really far. Yeah, I think it's pretty uh, interesting that he definitely entertains them in a way that it's just like, I'm going to feign interest that way. I have more, you know, fire to, to really, uh, or I should say more ammunition for the fire. He definitely goads them into these conversations. So it's pretty sure. easy for him to do. And he mentions a couple other things before I get into his stories, because we start getting into that in a second. But uh, he mentions a pair looks like an O-gear. Um, I didn't know if you guys caught that. He's like, no, I stood on myself on my shoulders. I, I wouldn't be even that tall. So we don't know what that is yet, but uh, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I highlighted that because my mind went to two things, like either an, like an ogre, maybe that's another word for an ogre, or a giant. Um, so those were kind of the two thoughts that I had in my mind. But I know they're talking about those as being kind of fairy tale-ish. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I mean, a lot of things they just don't believe in. Uh, they think it's all just myths and legends and stories. So, yeah. I like a quote. We kind of glanced over it, but I want to go back to it because it mm-hmm. kind of gives you um, his take on war. He said, in war, boy, fools kill other fools for foolish causes. That's for, uh, enough for anyone to know. I am here for my art. So he clearly is seems to be a pacifist now i don't know if that's going to be the case later on in the other 14 books or even in this book itself because in my mind he's going to be this grand wizard that like is the (laughs) the gandalf of the book or the dumbledore of the book um but 
I love that quote because he's just like war it's not important and like even his concept of time earlier the words old news like I kind of read more into that because of the way this book goes um, in relation to war he's like yeah that's old news mm-hmm. and he's like I, in my mind I'm like does he mean that this is this war has been going on for a while or does he mean that there's always war going on so why is it a big deal like I'm struggling with that whole idea of what his statement really meant Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously, you know, it, it gets, I don't know if you guys want to take this, but, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously against war, you know, a hundred percent, whether he's seen it firsthand and that's why, or whether or not he's just, you know, like I said, uh, more of a stage performer and just, more, you know, what you consider today more liberal and, and from that, you know, uh, anti-war dubbish, um, type type of type of personality i got the feeling just the nature of his trade like uh that type of person could be around near observe these conflicts without really getting drawn into it on either side so if that's true and this character moves forward with us i mean he could be a great source of information uh, as we move along, just because of these things that he's been able to observe, even though maybe he didn't directly take part in it. Sure. And kind of going back to the whole idea of <clears throat> his experience and experiences in general, I love when they were talking about how far they traveled out, they did that reference to mountains of mist and how it's, everybody knows it's bad luck to enter the mountains. Um, I love the parallel to the Misty Mountains from... Sure. Uh, yes. Lord of the yes. Rings, like I. <laughs> yes. And um, you know, just going back to that that previous uh, ch- uh, I guess paragraph right before that, I guess something else we glanced over that I want to get back to is that there's an obvious mistrust for Aes Sedai. You know, so we talked about that last episode. We got introduced to this other group called Aes Sedai that are marching to 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 go to the dragon. And they ask him, you know, about Aes Sedai. And he says, I make a point of never knowing anything about Aes Sedai, much safer that way. So I, I didn't know if you guys picked up on that or what your thoughts were about his opinion. But um, he basically says, I don't want anything to do with those people. That's actually one of the things I had highlighted because it just shows how, for lack of better words, badass they are. <laughs> that even a, a great storyteller doesn't want to know anything about them. Sure. Yeah, that's his job is to know stuff and be able to, you know, through his art, tell these stories to folks, whether it's in song or rhyme, poem, whatever. Uh, but yeah, maybe they're they're badasses, but they're they're dangerous. That's what that tells me. I mean, somebody that, you know, we just said a second ago, there was a strong chance he's observed a whole lot of stuff just without ever getting drawn into it. Uh, and he has a knack for that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in a position to do that, but with this group, he doesn't even he doesn't want to know anything about him. Like I, I could just picture him if people are talking about it, him just turning the other way, and like he did with us here, somebody asks him a question, he just quickly turns it back, and like nope, don't want to talk about it, don't care to know about it, nothing. So that that speaks not just that they're badass, but they're they're very dangerous. Maybe you can't trust them. I don't know. They're not necessarily good or evil. They can you can get burned either way. However you handle it. Sure. 
So fast forward a little bit, you know, now we start talking about he starts performing. So he does that crazy somersault up onto the the foundation and juggling balls and starts telling stories about these people, Archer Hawkwing and uh, and the Green Man and the Aiel and all these different things that doesn't mean anything to us, but obviously sounds like these great stories. And then, um, um, you know, one thing I did want to share with you guys, this is kind of an Easter egg that um, that doesn't, it never explains this at all, but it's people have figured it, fans have figured this out after reading the series over and over and over again. So it's something you'll never catch in your first read through, but I just wanted to. No, 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 not that. But when Egwene, she screams out, tell us about Lynn who flew in a a belly of a dragon to this, to the, or or was it a belly of something? Eagle made of fire fire to the moon. Our Celia who walked his daughter, who walked around the stars and he goes old stories, very old stories. So there's, there's a theory that actually this whole world is actually Earth. And as time goes on, this is thousands and thousands of years from where today is. Um, obviously, names would change. They wouldn't stay the same. Uh, we talked about that last episode. Um, so there's a whole theory that these next couple of names that he gives out deal with our time. So Lynn, who flew in an eagle to, to the moon, John Glenn, Salia, Sally Ride. Uh, his daughter who went to space, uh, first woman that went to space. The next line talks about Mosk, the giant who had lances of fire, Moscow, who could, th- who could reach on the other side of the earth. Uh, clear, nuclear missile. Yeah. Uh, and then Mott Therese, the healer of Ind, Mother Teresa, the healer of India. So just kind of one of this cool little, uh, like if you read into it, and this will happen sprinkled throughout the books, like where they'll start talking about these old, old, old times, and they'll have these hints to now which is I just thought was cool. Like, and you don't notice them unless you really read into them. So just kind of a cool tidbit. I don't know what your thoughts were on that because I just threw that at you. <laughs> I know, that's, that's pretty cool. I like read through those and I was like, these all sound like great spinoff books. So after 15 books, he could write others. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He no longer lives. But maybe he did do that. And I just don't know because I've never looked into it sure yeah but, and, um so i mean but it's interesting that they might be just stories that already exist so that's that's how he goes i will tell you of the end of the age of legends of the dragon it's attempt to free the dark one into the world of men which i was like mm, that's not how i remember from like for the prologue, prologue. <laughs> obviously, so a lot of time has changed. You know, a lot of times passed. We read the prologue. He was not there. Us as a reader was there. If that makes, which is kind of cool, because it's obviously years and years and years later. So he's taking this this myth and legend story and doing his interpretation. But we, as the reader, actually got to witness our our read the real event. Which, which I, I just like that. Anyway, I just love how his he's how descriptive he is. He's like, I will tell the time of madness when the Assad, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but I'm going to try, shattered the world of the Trolloc Wars when men battled Trollocs for rule of the earth, of the wars of the hundred years when men battled men and the nations of our day were wrought. Like, that whole sense of time is still escaping me because there's so much loaded into the stories that he's going to tell and the stories that they were asking him to tell. It's like, man, how many years have passed? What, how old is this earth? Like, 
<laughs> sure. So I know we we had talked about it last time that it was you know that or I guess a couple episodes ago maybe it was we talked the prologue and um and we, we we talked about the what the difference between time between the breaking of the world and this is and you guys couldn't even begin to begin to even think about it now we're getting a little more of these context clues it's it's been a long time <laughs> and then we get our lady to enter yes yeah, so he's in the middle of telling stories and uh, he just stops. You know, mid juggling, just balls disappear, and it's Moraine. So, what are your thoughts about this first encounter? Does Tom know Moraine? Do you think Tom knows Moraine? Or he he either knows of her directly, or you know, we talked about this earlier when we were describing her ring. Maybe she's part of some order, and he's aware of her order and their importance, something like that. But it's not. So like I was saying before, where he felt the need to put the people in this town in their place and kind of talk down to them. She didn't show up and immediately and say something to him to put him down. He saw her and he he put himself in his place. He knelt down like he already recognized like uh, this was a big deal, you know, bow down before sort of thing. So, you know, he he knew his place towards her or perhaps towards some group that she belongs to. Mm hmm. If they do know each other, then they're playing off of each other very well because he had his pause. He made a statement, you're pardoned, but you are surely not from this district. And then, of course, right away, Ewan came in. Oh, that's Lady Moraine. And right away, she said, none was perceived, Master Bard. So she gave him his respect through the title. And my name is simply Moraine. I am indeed a stranger here, a traveler like yourself, far from home and alone. The world can be a dangerous place when one is a stranger, which that part, that kind of took my mind. It's like, that sounds almost like a threat. Right. Is it, it sounds a, like a warning. Is it a veiled threat? Like, uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, maybe she, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they do know each other. And she, you know, in that dialogue there was hinting towards him. I don't want these people knowing who I am. Uh, you know, this is simply my name. I don't need all the titles sort of thing. And then drops the thread on him. Like, keep your mouth shut because you're a stranger too. And no one will miss you if you get disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then uh, all this interaction gets cut off because out of those council comes, comes out and Tom and B is like, all right, Drinks her up. I'm out. <laughs> like it's just funny because as soon as as soon as the vigil couch comes out, it's like that means the bar is open. So I'm bouncing. Screw you guys. I, I'm I'm out of here. Um. So I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, the village council comes out. The Neve comes out. Um, you know, complain to Bran about how she doesn't like these new strangers. And it's obviously she's talking about Moraine and Land. And Bran defends them. Says, you know, I they're under my roof. You don't talk about my guests that they, you know, uh, you know, obviously give some, there's some dialogue and banter there. That I thought it was pretty humorous. Um, you can tell there's some really big tension between the council and the wisdom and, and her ladies. And I'm wondering if that is a new tension or if that's a tension of ages. You know, how there's 
in a lot of the stories, you've got like, of course, the controlling male faction and the controlling female faction, and they're always back and forth at each other. They come together when it's really important. But other than that, they're always bickering back and forth. But then you have some stories where like the male council kind of steps down and the females kind of rule. It's just one of those. I'm, I'm wondering if it's the fact that they're so upset at the wisdom for her lackluster predictions that they're arguing back and forth or if this is a historical thing. Seems like the wisdom, uh, you know, she feels threat to her power and now she's got her little follower that's tagging along with her. And uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure they do. And rightfully so feel threatened. They, they were wrong about their prediction, but then, you know, they, they had so much sway in this community until these strangers showed up and now everybody's just enamored with them and the stories they're telling. And, and clearly lady Moran, she, with hardly telling us anything about herself, uh, she already has so much control over these young boys. And uh, I mean, in, in even the uh, Gleeman, you know, so they, they feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely something to look in or keep, keep an eye on in the next few chapters or so. Um, you know, as that develops and sees where that goes. Um, so, um, you know, w- Immediately, they you know everyone pours over. You know, what you guys talk about? What's going on? And they said, "Well, they, nothing more than what he already said to everybody else." But what we are going to do is we're going to start a watch. Uh, you know, uh, have riders go out and patrol the borders, and you get a kind of geography of two, the two rivers. Uh, they, they say we're going to send people down to all these different little towns and get this watch together, and you get a real picture of how isolated it is. So, to to the west, you have the the mountains of mist, which no one goes to because they're haunted or whatever. To the south, you have the White River, which is rapids. That's why it has his name. And you can't cross it. And there's a force, force of shadows beyond that, which is dangerous as well. And then to the east, you have like swamps, the mire and the waterwood, which is swampy area. Can't cross either. So the only way out is really north through what's called Tarn Ferry, which goes across the Tarn River. So there's one ferry that kind of comes in and out. So if you picture that, if you're kind of in this box – and there's only one ferry that brings you in and out. It's it's super isolated. I mean, yeah. So we've read far enough uh, to know what what the real reason is behind doing this watch. Uh, but even before I got to that point, um, I, I called BS. You know, once I read it, and okay. a town like this, this isolated, and we've already been shown how naive they are to the rest of the world. Yada yada yada. If they didn't actually perceive a threat. They're not going to waste the time and the resources and the effort to have this patrol. So they're trying to play it down to not get people worried or panicked. But mm-hmm. that that council determined there is a serious threat. And and of course we we learn uh, a few par- the end of it. Yeah, a few paragraphs know, later. Yeah, right, right. So they they delve right into it. So yeah, no sooner did he say it as like I'm mumbling bullshit as I read it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement because, like you said, they are super isolated. And then next day, like the biggest day of the year is tomorrow. Yeah. You know, why am I going to put people like on alarm and why am I going to set up this watch on the biggest day of the year? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) 
we probably should talk about memes because we could go down a rabbit hill there. But what's uh, the one with the little dog sitting in the room that's on fire? And he's like, everything's okay. I'm okay. That's <laughs> the impression that I got there. Like, Come on now. They're not okay, guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and you know, I mean, they start talking about the Dark Rider again and, and the kids do and how they're, how they're kind of ashamed to even bring it up, not knowing that that's pretty much what the Village Council has been talking about now. It's the Dark Rider um and tam comes to rand's like we got to go now and tam's like why we're, we're here in the village can't we stay the night he's like I'll, I'll talk to you later just just get get the horses and let's go um you know and it's it's it, from rand's point of view it's kind of this weird situation obviously the festival's tomorrow it sounds like this night is supposed to be a fun night and you just got there and now you're saying okay we're going back home and i can get rand's perspective because he's not being told any information right now like but why are we leaving? Like, we just got here. This is, we're supposed to have fun. This is the time of year we do this. I mean, it, it'd be like traveling all the way to, I don't know, um, you know, some, some fun place for the, the night before 4th of July and saying, for American reference, that's our big Independence Day. I, I realize we have international listeners, but yeah, the night before you travel somewhere for that, for a big fireworks show at a big festival. And then that night or that day, your dad says, uh, yeah, let's just go back home first and then we'll come back tomorrow. Like we talked on earlier podcast uh, about a quality of Rand's might be uh, that he's extra perceptive. Um, but I think he totally missed it on this one. I mean, dad, dad gives him a nudge and a wink. OK, you know, the council was just in there talking about this possible threat. What are they going to do? They come out and sure, they say, oh, yeah, things are OK, but we might do a little extra security and this dad immediately turns to him and goes and by the way we're gonna we're going to head home like it should have clicked right then and there all right there's more story here that i'm not being told there's a reason he's not telling me let me go ahead and uh, hitch the horses up so we can get out of here and figure out what's actually going on so the the fact that it that didn't immediately click that again shows him just being naive and not realizing what they're stumbling into here well here's gonna be my first i guess um level of or opportunity for disagreement with you. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so I would agree that maybe his level of perception wasn't where it needed to be. But the reasoning, I think, is because he's so focused on his objective. Because right away, he snaps back into, hello, we have a war. And then we have this black cloaked man. Have you forgotten him already? Like He is focused on, we need to figure out who this black cloaked individual is because he shouldn't be here and he is an issue and we need to find other people involved because we need to have that proof ready for the council because he's ready to address the council tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So even when he's got the funnest day, the most important day of the year ahead of him, like his father who set up a patrol, he is actually trying to get his faction together to come and say, look, you guys need to take us seriously. There's something crazy going on. That's, that's a good point. And so maybe there's, uh, I don't know if it's distrust, maybe a little distrust with the council and his dad, like not believing they could be taking the right action, but it, but it's based on the fact that um, they haven't come out and altogether told them yet about, you know, them seeing the rider. So maybe they think oh, they're clearly making a bad decision because they don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I just feel like if I know a meeting that important happens, 
and my pops came out and was like, hey, uh, let's get out of here. I would not talk to anybody. I'd pack myself up and be like, let's go. Because <laughs> you know, I, I trust sure. him that much. And I know that if he's saying that, something's about to go down. Sure. So uh, also another thing as well is that when he gets to the stable, he gets a description of the horse to get to give the description of the horses. So um, I, I just want to go back to the cover art. You know, we, we talked about that a long time ago, but you had the black horse, the white horse, and, you know, the other horse. So uh, they kind of just talk about all of them right here. So we uh, figure out who those riders are. Yeah, our, our samurai guy, what's his name? Lan. Lan, yeah. So Lan, obviously the, the big dark horse. Yeah, Moraine's uh, a squeaky short person in the front. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that the had the squeaky dog toy every time she rides by. Um, and it's uh, that the Gleeman then behind him? Yeah, that, or it's ran on, on, on another horse. Um, but, but Yeah, one of those two. Yeah. But those yeah. those two are identified, definitely. Right. So, you know, and then the, the, the chapter ends with them leaving the village and then Tam turning to Rand saying, hey, we actually believe you about the rider. Um, a bunch of kids have seen this rider and, you know, and basically the way he explains it to them, is like, you know, if it was just one of you, yeah, you guys have seen shadows, but where there's that many of you all saying it and not talking to each other, you know, we're, you know, it might be old, but we're not dumb. Um, something's going on here. Yeah. Um, it's about to get real. So, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, we're, we're going to uh, go to chapter five next. Um, and, uh, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, moving on to chapter five, winter night. So like with all our chapters, we're going to start with a symbol. So we have a symbol. It's a tree, you know, and just wanted to see what you guys thought are the symbol and what it might mean. Personally, I took this two ways. First, of course, is just symbolizing the forest, which we'll learn more about later on in the chapter. And then the second, um, whenever I see a tree with a lot of branches, I think about lineage. Mm. And I know we've already kind of started discussing the possibility that maybe our, our main character isn't quite what he appears or who he appears. And then we get this... Um, really nice the very first paragraph they make a very big point of talking about the farmhouses and i'm just gonna wait a moment i want to touch that really quickly but i want to go ahead and give ian a chance to talk a little bit about the um the symbol if he had anything you wanted to add to that yeah so the one thing i definitely want to add is uh i told alan this earlier 
I left my book at work today. <laughs> so, uh, and it had all my notes and everything. And of course, so I'm not staring at the symbol right now. Uh, and because I was getting so into the reading, uh, man, last couple times I read through it, I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to it. So shame on me, two demerits. Uh, yeah. yeah, my bad. <laughs> but it, it's a it's a tree with no leaves on it, a bunch of branches, and kind of silhouetted by a um, in the background. I think it's like a half moon or something. Yeah, it looks oh, like a full moon. Full moon. Okay, yeah, full moon in the back. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna jump right in because I just I love how again the author is super descriptive. I just I can't get over that. But he said um, talking about the dwellings, the dwellings had grown over the years to hold entire families and the two rivers that often included three or four generations under one roof, including aunts, uncles, cousins, and nephews, Tam and Ren were considered out of the ordinary as much for being two men living alone as for farming in the West Wood. So two things stuck out to me right then and there, which, keeps bringing back that thought that maybe Tam and Rand are not the people that we think they are. Maybe they're not really true members of the two rivers because first off, where's the lineage? Where's the heritage? Where's the family? Like if everybody else kind of dwells together within their group, where's the rest of their family? Uh, and there's no mention of them up to this point of having family beyond the mother that passed away. And um, the second thought is why are they so out of the ordinary for being or for farming in the West Wood? Like what makes that different from what others do? Is it just because they are country boys in this part of, of the area where there's a small city where people congregate? Or is there something special about the West Wood? Sure. Yeah, jumping on that, this chapter is awesome in many ways, but it definitely solidified for me um, that Rand has different parents. Uh, there's, a, there's a good chance that uh, Tam knows or has known that there's something special about Rand. This is why he's raised in this town that's in the middle of nowhere that barely has contact with the rest of the world. And on top of that, they live outside of town. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, what is it? Star Wars and Luke Skywalker and, and how he's raised and whatnot and kind of kept hidden from the world, even though we had this special power sort of thing. So, and then very soon as, you know, <clears throat> as we get into this battle scene and whatnot, uh, Tam has some skills that Rand wasn't even aware of, you know? So I think that, that theory certainly yeah. takes root for me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, as soon as they get to the farm, you know, that that's one of the first scenes is they're getting back to the farm, and Tam immediately goes into this whole entire, like, check everything mode. And, and Rand takes the more simple approach. It's like, well, the sheep look calm, so obviously no one's here. But Tam's even, like, going and checking the water and, like, testing the water in the well to make sure, uh, you know, take his tongue to it, sniffing it. And um, obviously ha has experience, you know. It, exactly. It's one of those yeah, it's one of those things like Robert Jordan writes this really well. You, you'd think that maybe he's actually fought in war before. Uh, <laughs> obviously, yeah. uh, uh, he, he was at two tours in Vietnam. And, um, and not everybody in Vietnam sees, sees action. But, Ian, you brought this up with me that I, I didn't know because I'm not military. Ian ha uh, you know, has and does serve um, uh, for our military. Um, and um, 
I, I had read online about the different uh, awards that Robert Jordan received at Vietnam, which meant nothing to me as a civilian, uh, even though it should. I, I should know these things. It doesn't. Um, so I think one of his uh, – uh, you mentioned it. He had a bronze star with a V, and I didn't even know what that meant. And you're like, that meant he did some pretty badass stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, he, he was directly involved. So the, the V is for valor. Um, <coughs> yeah. Right. Can, can only be earned in times of combat, and it, it's pretty significant. Sure. So I, I think that lends to the way Robert Jordan writes action. Um, he writes it really well, in my opinion. Um, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, but like you just get yeah. really – yeah, he, he writes action better than most most writers do. He describes <laughs> stuff well, as Chris said. Chris says he does that description piece, but action, I think, is where he really shines. So um, – Back to what was going on here. So Tam's kind of walking around. He's looking, uh, obviously, for any signs that someone's been here. And he kind of laughs about it. He's like, obviously, no one's been here. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping at shadows. And Rand just immediately goes to his chores. So, uh, you know, he's chopping wood and getting sweat and all that stuff. So, um, obviously, a hard farm life. We get that, that picture right there. But it also goes to kind of establish Rand's strength which becomes important later. Um, you know, we have Tam, who's got this constant vigilance. And um, as we go in the chapter, I'm going to take a, a second approach or a second thought to that whole um, Tam not being his father, because I think maybe he is, but it's really the mom that we need to be thinking about. But Ooh. we'll get into that later. But I really want to focus on, you're right, is he, Tam's very militaristic. And this is coming from a man that is from the two rivers who has no reason to be militaristic, who has no reason to taste water for poison, because I'm assuming that's what he was doing. Um, like he, you guys are right. Like he does a really good job of describing that, but you, it makes me think like, where did he get these skills? Was he a soldier at some point in time? Whose army did he serve in? what point in time was he a soldier? Is he really from this time or is he from another time? Like my mind is spinning with this whole idea of like the potential of time travel, or at least the potential of this man being an outsider who's just been in the area for so long. Um, I mean, at least 20, 15 to 20. So he's kind of established himself. Uh, but I do love how he's essentially taught his son to remain vigilant too, because even though Rand started to go to work, he still kept his bow near. So he's gaining more respect in my eyes as we go along in the book. So, yeah, and it's it's hard work that he's explained. I mean, obviously he does the you know feeds the animals, wipes down Bell of the horse, but and then he goes to chopping wood. And I, I don't know if you guys have chopped wood before, but about at length. But about uh, two or three years ago, we had a bad storm that came through. And we used to have a big oak in our front yard, and it, it got chopped off and actually fell in our house. Um, so we actually ended up having the whole tree removed, and it did some major damage. Insurance company paid for all of it. But I told the tree removal company that you know any good good firewood, I wanted them to put aside so I could chop it myself. Um, and so I went and borrowed my neighbor's axe and realized – 
I don't like chopping wood. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the that's one of the best workouts you can have. But that's one of those workouts you have to be in shape first before you can even attempt it because you will hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this is where I'm at a slight advantage. <laughs> I, I have a, a an uncle who uh, owns a farm up in Michigan, and if you've been in Michigan around December, January, it gets to negative 14 really quickly. So, like, we are encouraged to make sure that we have enough wood by the weather. So I've been out, and I've felt a few trees. I will be honest with you. I've had fun doing it. I'm also... Six six and three hundred and now thirty pounds. At that time, I was like three hundred and seventy five pounds, and uh, <laughs> you know I could squat eight hundred pounds and and bench four hundred five. So I loved hitting that. <laughs> right. So if you're listening, that's the type of person that would enjoy chopping wood. For the rest of us, for the rest of us it is very difficult. <laughs> If you if you're built like a lumberjack, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh man! So all right, so Rand gets done with his chores, goes in to wash up, um, and this this is the, the best. The uh, I think one of the greatest scenes of the of, of so far in the book. So he's going to wash up, uh, and Tam's just like, you know what? I'm going to go start locking the doors, and, and Rand notes that like we never lock doors. Why? You know, obviously it clicks in his head. Something's off. Everything's tense. Um, uh, and then you hear the scrape coming from upstairs. And it's like, that never gets moved either. I noticed the chest under his bed. So kind of leave it to you guys to start talking more. But I just love how this scene's set up. Well, Chris, you might have more insight to this given your last story. But, you know, I, ju- I just assume that farm life and the amount of work that goes into it, and especially surviving in winter, like there's – routines that you you stick to and you got to do one thing after the other boom 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 uh because there's so much to get done you know so you, you get in this routine this cycle of doing stuff so anything that's not routine is definitely going to stand out so just like you were saying alan like i got that same impression um well and, and Rand had that same reaction of like wait a minute you know i know we're trying to go back and forth about how yeah, it's not that big a deal, but it is a big a deal. But that's kind of like the moment where Rand is really starting to, you know, heartbeat pick up, like, holy cow, what's going on here? Yeah, I will tell you, because um, <clears throat> I enjoy spending time on the farm with my, my uncle and the family, the one thing you learn is, like, that idea of being up at the crack of dawn when the rooster's crow is real, because you start your farm work at 5.30, no later than 6 o'clock. You are out there for two and a half, three hours. You're hitting the breakfast table at about eight, having fresh food. You finish your meal by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Then you're at, back outside doing more chores. You're coming in around 11, 11 to about two. You're like doing studies. You're getting relaxed time. You're getting your lunch. By about three o'clock, you're getting everything prepped. And by 4.30, you're back out finishing farm work until dinner time at like 6, 6.30. And in that whole time, like everything is loosely regimented, but it's still regimented. You know it has to be done. Um, and the other thing is, is when I was there, we never locked a door because everybody around were family and friends. Like everybody depended on everybody. So a door never got locked. I remember a moment 
really upset me then because I'm city boy from Newport News, Virginia, going up to Michigan farmland. But I go to use the bathroom and there's no lock on the door. I'm sitting on the toilet. My female <laughs> cousin walks in the bathroom. And then like five minutes later, my aunt walks in the bathroom. I'm like, do you guys not know what privacy is? And my aunt just goes, huh, out here we just share everything. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely shows that locking the door would be a big deal. Because he, like, Rand even mentions, like, I can't remember him ever locking the door. Like, I didn't even know he had that key. Like, he even makes a point. Like, he pulls out the key that he's never seen before. It looked odd. And goes and locks the door. He's just like, what? <laughs> like, um, and, and then Cam, Cam comes downstairs with a sword. Uh, so. I love that. A thick belt slanted around Tam's waist. And from the belt hung a sword. With the bronze heron on the uh, excuse me, on the black scarab with another on the long hilt. And so the only men Rand had ever seen wearing swords were the merchant's guards and Lan, of course. That his father might own one had never even occurred to him. So like that right there just goes to show you that there are secrets in that house that are just never even discussed and never even thought about. Sure. Do you think there's any significance with this sword? I mean, they, they go through the, de- I mean, I know Robert Jordan loves describing things in detail, but there are a lot of details about this sword that goes, that he goes into. So I just wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts about that. By the description, did you all, what kind of sword did you all picture? Like a cantata type blade? Yeah. Like a samurai cantata. Sam- okay. That's what so I, that's, I, mean, that's what I always picture in my head canon. I mean, there's no, Nothing else yeah. that points. Uh, I mean, I guess once the TV show comes out, we can look differently, but that's yeah. always what I pictured in my head. No, I, I was the same. That's what I pictured. I know that doesn't answer your question, but I was just curious what y'all thought. Well, I mean, the shape of the, the heron is kind of sleek in design, so I think I would agree with that. It kind of makes you makes me think, at least, like what are the ethnicity of the people involved? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. At first, you know, I'm thinking like out in the woods, out in the mountains, you know, I'm thinking the characters on the cover, you know, they're just clearly white guys and being (laughs) a mixed race. I'm like, I know what my, my, my country cousins look like and this is what they sound like. But then you have this blade that doesn't quite match up to what like a European a white male would have had during that time. And it even states it in here. It's like most of the men have, um, he said, uh, slowly Tim drew this weapon. Firelight played along the gleaming link. It was nothing at all like the plain rough blades Rand had seen in the hands of the mer- merchant's guards. No gems or gold adorned it, but it seemed grand to him. Nonetheless, the blade very slightly curved and sharp on only one edge bore another heron etched into the steel. So they go like very descriptive, short quillins, I can't pronounce that word, worked to look like braids flanking the hilt. Yeah. It seemed almost fragile compared to the swords of the merchant's guards. Most of those were double edged and thick enough to chop down a tree. So clearly it's gotta be a katana. Mm-hmm. Sure. Slightly curved. Only sharp on one edge. That I mean, that describes like a, a, a katana to me. I mean, that's the 
the only other blade that I can think of would be a uh, Middle Eastern um, scabbard. Scabbard. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Scabbard. Yeah. So um, one thing I, I did another trivia fact, and I should have talked about this the first episode. So you mentioned the the covers, and uh, so I will tell you that the first five book covers are very very what we call whitewash, where you have the white characters. The reason for that is because the real time when it was originally written was not an overnight success. It did not become this giant blockbuster when the first one was written. So they hired this guy to do the cover art. He didn't even bother reading the books. He just got the description of what he was supposed to do on the books, uh, you know, what the books were about, and made these art. And it was kind of like, take it or leave it. You want me? This is what I'm giving you. I'm not doing it again. Um, so after the, after ah. the fifth book cover, um, Harriet McDougall, Robert Jordan's wife, who was also his editor, called this writer says, listen, we're getting successful now. You're going to be fired unless you do what we tell you to do. So the, so you, you'll notice a direct change. So uh, just something as a, as a, as a kind of – because people always say, like, what's all this extra stuff or what's this inside the books? No, for the first five books, it's kind of a trivia fact, uh, just something extra. Um, yeah, the, 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 the illustrator did not even read the book, so <laughs> – <laughs> I like it. Uh, adds even deeper twists to all the yeah. <laughs> so it's um kind of a funny backstory behind all that, whether it's bad, good or bad, but it is what it is. So I love how we kind of get an introduction to the wife at this point. Mm-hmm. Or I should say the mother. Um, He said, your mother didn't approve in regards to the sword, but she was always wiser than I. Mm -hmm. I was young then, and it seemed worth the price of time talking about the cost of the sword. She always wanted me to get rid of it. And more than once, I thought she was right that I should just give it away. So how do you think Tam got it? Because, you know, they asked, Grant asked him, how much did it cost you? He He goes, two coppers would be too much for this. Uh, and the price, you know, uh, the price I had to pay was way too much. Um, what, what do you think he's talking about there? See, I got my preconceived theories and whatnot. So uh, I, I just didn't read it as like a, an actual monetary cost. He he probably there might have been some enlistment in some sort of service or part of some organization or gang or whatever. And that's maybe that's more the cost that he's talking about. And that was a lifestyle that uh, Rand's mom had asked him at some point to leave and turn away from. So I didn't take it as uh, cost sure. him, you know, hundred pieces of gold. And it I don't cost think, him a part of his life and some sort of sacrifice. And I don't think the reader's supposed to assume it's a monetary. Yeah, right, right, right. Look, I'm just trying to sound clever. Let me have it for a moment. <laughs> Chris gets to do it all the time with his dragon claws and everything. <laughs> 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 I have a hard time until I can until we get further into the story or until I know what this sword looks like. Like if it's a katana, it doesn't fit him as a character. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a different type of sword, like he's a big man, like he's a katana's not meant for a man that's that's of grand size. Like they if he was part of an army, they would have given him a weapon to fit his character he would have had like a zombok toe he would have had a large sword like a horse killer if this is like an asian guy like if it's if he was part of an asian army he would have had like 
a 12 foot long horse killing sword. Like he would have been used front line. Like I couldn't see him with a katana. And trust me, being the size I am, I own a katana. I don't look right, and it doesn't feel good. In my <laughs> sure, <laughs> my broadsword that I own definitely fits well in my hand. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, move, moving on to now the best scene so far. So, Rand's now deep in thought about all this. And so, there's a little knock on the door, and Rand goes, "Yeah," and Rand goes, "That's a little late for the neighbors to be coming over," and then. <laughs> 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 and then boom so let's talk about this well let's see here because there's so much to discuss I'm going to give you a chance to say something nice about Rand before I crap all over him <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody hates Rand anyway <laughs> oh man that's the thing I don't well before we go further because I want to make that point since we're talking about Rand we're talking about before we get to the, the battle scene which is where we're headed I was excited to find out that his mother had been an outlander yes and I had that highlighted like that was an important mm-hmm. highlight for me because it speaks to the whole idea of maybe Rand being not Tam's son. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that that's the case, but his mother definitely is not from the two rivers. So what was her significance? Like she clearly has some significance to the story. Maybe she's like an Assad or something like maybe she was a a warrior woman, or maybe she was some type of, magician or maybe she has a link to the dragon maybe she's like a lineage to the yeah. the dark one like you know he's rand's got these gray eyes that was uh described much earlier in the last chapter which we didn't really touch on but there was significance in the color of his eyes they're different than everybody else's they were even different from the blue of the gleeman and then we have his mother who's an outlander and we're slowly starting to have some character development around her so I'm interested to see or hear what her story is. Hopefully we get to that. Um, and then we get to the battle scene. I, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to breeze past that. I need to say that. <laughs> so, yeah. So now we have the battle scene. So the door smashes open. The lock spins across the floor. I mean, it just that, that the way he writes that, I can just picture like splintering of wood and that metal lock just like, spin like a top like you know you just it it's so cinematic um and this this figure darkens the door and you know and and rand's first reaction is like oh thank god it's not the dark rider and he looks up he's like wait it has horns and a wolf a wolf mouth and (laughs) holy crap like (laughs) (laughs) so we meet a trollic um so let's let's talk about it Well, I will start by saying, again, I love the vivid imagery that is going on here. So I agree with you. I have never read through a chapter more rapidly than I read through the rest of this chapter. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was like, oh, got to get to the end, got to get to the end. It was like I was being pulled into this battle scene as if I was watching a movie. Sure. 
I'll agree. And I, like, Ian, I'm going to let you talk on this like, because, like, I, I'm excited. I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you go and go because I know you're going to pull me in the same way the story pulled me in. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, I mean, I'll agree with that. Uh, I read this chapter multiple times, and the first time, I'm sure I skipped over a bunch of detail, and and it, that's credit to the author, uh, because I've been very meticulous so far in how I've been reading, trying to highlight, take notes as I go, and I flew through it. But I mean, that's that's the way it was designed, and and what's clever about it is that's that's how like uh, a real firefight or like a, a real hostile engagement actually happens. Uh, I mean, even if it lasts 15, 20 minutes, it's just, I mean, it, you get this narrow tunnel vision and everything you just, you, you react, you know, you react according to how you're trained and whatnot. So um, I thought, I thought the way it was written was pretty cool, but as far as <clears throat> Rand's reaction, uh, not a huge fan of, it kind of, it kind of, he was, he was a bit of a wuss, Thing. I know he hasn't been involved in any sort of real big fight or anything except maybe scrapping with his buddies. And yeah, you got these big old Trollocs that, you know, you thought didn't really exist or whatever, and they're massive and they're threatening. But it's not like they ran into you on the road. This is his home, right? This is this is his house where he grew up like this was his everything. And he had little to no instinct really to to defend it i mean a little bit he wanted to try and help his dad but you know tam's like no go run blah 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 blah. go out the back way whatever i was saying he feels bad about it at least (laughs) yeah okay so you guys have seen uh saving private ryan the guy in the hallway that is supposed to bring the ammo and just sits there well he wasn't smiling he was crying he felt bad about it but he knew he was being a wuss sure i mean Rand doesn't know what tam's skills are at this point so if he thinks his dad has just been this farmer his whole life and doesn't know how to fight, when he made the decision to listen to his dad and leave, he had to have calculated in his mind that I'm leaving my dad to die. There's no yeah, way he, he says, thought his dad was going to survive that. That makes him the ultimate wuss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to agree with you first off. On how well you get pulled in because I was going back as you were talking and looking at my highlights. I didn't highlight again <laughs> yeah. until we got out of the battle. Exactly. <laughs> get caught in the event horizon and was like, oh shit, there's no going back. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it like, wait a second. You made a really good point. My next highlight doesn't happen until they're in the woods, in the clear ish. Right. Um, and I but I really was racing like theirs was too. I mean, you're right there with them. <laughs> I feel for for Rand because um, he said, even as Rand turned away, shame filled him that he obeyed so quickly. He wanted to stay and help his father, though he could not imagine how. But fear had him by the throat, and his legs moved on their own. He dashed from the room towards the back of the house. As fast as he had ever run in his life, crashes and shouts from the front door pursued him. Like, first off, I had to think about slowing down to read that <laughs> <laughs> because I just wanted to just like power through it. But it shows that internal conflict that you get as a when you're in that fight or flight mode, 
And he's clearly still a child in that sense. Yeah. Like when it really came down to it. Yeah. And uh, it, the fight was gone out of him. Exactly. And I think, you know, when you talk about fight or flight, you know, obviously the flight instinct kicked on for Rand. Um, you know, uh, someone like, you know, you take like yourself, Ian, who's, who's, who's been trained as a soldier, you're trained to have a fight instinct kick in versus a flight. Uh, so, you know, you compare it to the same fight, Ryan, that guy should have had been trained to have a fight instinct kick, kicked in, you know, the guy that, in the, in the, in the, in the hallway and say, right, right. Whereas Rand's a kid, um, you know, obviously it, it, I'm not trying to say that he's a good guy. That he's not a wuss in the situation. He's definitely a wuss, <laughs> but, but give him some credit. <laughs> like he's, he, he's obviously, he's not, he's not even thinking, um, you know, anything through rationally. It's just all instinct and it's the wrong instinct, but it's, it's all instinct. <laughs> yeah. But I, I still, I had like, cause you're right. I have a heart for him now. So I will be that one. He still was so observant. And he observed the shadows and he, he watched them. He observed them. Then he realized what was going on. And he yelled as one to that. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. He was a wuss because, you know, he saw the door locked. So I'm so crouch and chill here. Then he saw the shadows. But, oh, shit, they're coming into the house through the back. I got to get out of here. So he, like, yells his warning. To his dad, they're coming in the back. Just as <laughs> You're probably gonna die. I'm out of here. <laughs> and then he gives his dad permission. I'm outside. Run. <laughs> I'm so torn right now. I'm not gonna lie to you because I want to like him so bad. <laughs> But then it's like, yeah. and then, and then, then the very next thing, he gets to the bar and, and starts fighting with a, a hoe handle. You know, like he's, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the handle hits him and he starts freaking out. Um, you know, and then and then you know, eventually makes his way to the woods and uh, and Tam comes crashing out and he yells towards his dad. And what is, instead of his dad turning towards him, he runs the other way to try to drive you know the all the trollocs and, and and the pursuers away from his son. Uh, so obviously Tam's acting very heroic in all of this, um, and and hats off to Tam. I mean, it's like the father of the year right now. Uh, obviously, he's he's sacrificing everything right now. Um, and again, Tam is depl- uh, displaying, um, you know, some tactical skills here. Uh, even to have made it out of the house, clearly he was handling the sword pretty well. And and we find out later when Rand goes back that he diced a couple of them up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to escape and then to be able to have, you know, the the tactical mindset of, you know, how am I going to move these bad guys in such a way that I can get away from them, but most definitely that they stay away from Rand. Uh, you know, this isn't just some farmer that happened to have a sword. So we, we get to a point where Rand is making his way into the woods or he's made his way into the woods. My first thought was, if you're that close to the barn, why the heck didn't you get the horse? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess a horse makes noise, though. You know, it's that's uh, you know, there's there's some thought process behind that. Maybe I don't know. I'm, I was like, I would have hopped on the horse and we would have been <laughs> right. Yeah, we would have been gone. Like, Dad, Dad, I'm. I'll see you later. Hopefully, you make. It. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, then you got to compare. We talked about the lack of training with Rand. When you're in that flight or fight mode, especially when your life is at risk, I mentioned the tunnel vision. When, once it finally clicks and you're in that runaway mode, um, 
you're not, he probably didn't even really notice or register anything until he sprinted and got in that barn. He didn't come out of that until he got tangled up with the, what do you say, or whatever. Like that's what kind of snapped him out of that tunnel vision. Uh, But again, in comparison, (laughs) Uh, you have somebody controlling that and still being able to use their their mind and thought processes and, and solve their way out of that problem, which of course is Tam. So again, I just keep showing the difference and in, in, in why I think sure. Tam's got some some skills in his back pocket. Sure. Yeah, he's definitely got to have it. I'll tell you, I'm uh, fight or flight. I've always been moved to be fight because I don't run very well. I can tell you. Very, very few times where I've had to do anything, but when I do, I, I, ins- I think I instinctively black out <laughs> yeah. just so I can do what needs to be done without having to think about it conscientiously. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is also why I still think he's a wuss. Um, I mean, you mentioned the, the Army training, and it's true. Um, they do train you from the get-go, you know, to, to not think, to run towards the, the firefight and, you know, to, to execute whatever it is you've been trained on, right? You, you practice sure. it so much that it's just automatic. Uh, but still, there are some people that from a very young age just already have that instinct in them. Sure. And it's kind of funny, you know, uh, Chris gave a description of, of himself earlier. I'm almost exact opposite. Um, I'm 5'7", I'm like right now about 175. Uh, and I've always been one of the smaller guys of my group of friends, but, uh, you know, Alan, you didn't get to know me more till high school. I was just always this way. Like I never backed down from a bully. I never turned from a fight. Uh, in fact, I very mistakenly interjected myself on behalf of others in their fights. Cause I thought they needed the help and just people way bigger than me. Like I just always had it in me like, okay, bad guy, we're going to go get in his face sort of thing. So some people, some people just have it in them. And that's one of those, you know, I bring that up my size compared to, you know, other people I've had to put up with and standing up to bullies. It's like that, that was his home <laughs> and that was his father. And I just can't imagine, even if in my mind, you know, that line where, you know, I'd like to stay and help, but I wouldn't even know how I would have gone blackout mode. I'd have picked up whatever was nearby <laughs> and I'd be like, that's it. I'm jumping on this trollic and I'm going to try and jam something in his neck and we'll see what happens. Like, <sighs> so I, it, I, it's, it, I just, I'm just remembering a story from high school right now and I'm, I'm going to share it real fast just because it, 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 the exact opposite of where I, I, it wasn't the, when I was confronted with a lot bigger guy than I was, I definitely took the entire let's crunch fetal position and just take the, take the beating because Ian might remember this. This was outside of lunch, and we're ha- doing ha- we're doing hacky sack, <laughs> <laughs> and and we're messing around. And one of our friends was another scrawny kid, and he always wore an Adidas jacket. And we were pushing around. And I also decided to go dance in this jacket because we were giving each other crap. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna dance in your jacket. And I'm sit there and start like stomping on this Adidas jacket, and look up and realize our friend Brian's still wearing his jacket. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And I look over, and I can't remember the name of this guy, but he was he was an upperclassman from us, and was gigantic. And he just has this look on me, like as I'm stomping on his jacket, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like, <laughs> yeah. to, to be fair, he was an upperclassman to us then, and for the most part, he looked out for us. But you were stomping on his jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I took that one to the chin. <laughs> yeah. So, or I'm sorry, Rand surprises us when it comes to his own life. 
because he's in the woods and all of a sudden Tam hops on him. He covers his mouth from behind and an iron grip seized his wrist. So that was happening to Rand. And all of a sudden he like frantically, he clawed over his shoulder with his free hand for something to hold on or for some hold on the attacker. And then Tam is just like, don't break my neck, lad. Like the kids definitely got it in him to be a fighter. He just isn't going to outright risk his own neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So maybe he's one of these that can be trained to be one. Or, or maybe his talents are more uh, not the direct confrontation, but, uh, you know, he seemed to have some skills in stealthily getting back to the barn in the house and gathering supplies sure. and whatnot. So maybe he, has a, he might have other skills that could benefit us or benefit him. Sure. And, and, you know, he needs to go back to gather supplies because he realized that Tan's burning up. Um, it's a small cut, but something's wrong with this cut. Like it's, I was going to say, I, I thinking about the Trolloc itself, it's almost like an animal. And most of the time when animals scratch, they have some type of bacteria under their nails or something like that, that always infects the skin. So my mind, either like these animalistic creatures, have like bacteria that make you sick or he was poisoned by a weapon or some mm-hmm. sort. Yeah. So obviously Rand's freaking out a little bit, goes back, you know, but tries to make a good plan. All those plans go to crap because, uh, you know, he gets close to the house, realize the sheep are really quiet, realize all the sheep are dead. Um, you know, I love how it describes that. He reaches down and feels the, the hair and then feels wetness. And it's like, Oh crap. Um, uh, and then remembers that the stories that Trollocs kill for fun. And, and he keeps on repeating that in his head, that like these are not good things at all. Uh, and then he goes into like describing the Trollocs. He goes to the house and he sees the bodies and sees the, and the smell and how horrible the smell is. And, and then you know some of them have hooves and some of them have boots, but some of them have horns and, and beaks and feathers and, and, and wolves snouts. So, you know, it's it, the description is just really strange to – to someone looking in, but obviously a horrifying scene. Um, if you picture one of these creatures. Makes it easy to believe, um, you know, what you said is true, Chris, that there, there's some about these guys. I mean, the horrible stench along with all the other nasty features, probably just giving one of these guys a hug would uh, give you the coronavirus or something. So <laughs> some resident evil type stuff. Yeah, I will say though, um, Rand was not very good at taking the advice of his father on this one, because there was that um, as he was going back to to gather the materials he needed. You know, he gets into the uh, the house, and he discovers one of the Trollocs that he thought were all dead. Is still in the one the last thing his father really said to him before he kind of become lucid was best act as if they are though in regards to their intelligence because mm-hmm. he said that they don't seem very smart once we got into the forest i sent the ones after me off towards the mountains without much trouble but then he goes but best act as if they are though and right away, the dummy. <laughs> so now I'm going to go ahead and call Rand what he is, because that's what it was. Sure. He, he gets into the house. He starts to gather stuff. And then one of the Trollocs gets is up. like, yeah. it's moving. Yep. 
<laughs> and he freezes in panic as Nard comes up to him and just starts talking to him. And uh, it's, it's in this weird, doesn't sound even human because it's not, you know, like you shouldn't even be able to speak kind of, you know, that's what I picture at least, you know, like if my, if my dog were to start speaking English to me, uh, you know, it would be so foreign and so strange and not sound right at all. Like it should be natural. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, obviously Rand freezes. And we hear about, he says, you know, Merdral wants to come talk to you. He says the Merdral. And obviously it has another name because immediately Rand calls it a fade in his head. He's like, what does a fade want? So um, obviously there's the two, two same things. But these were all myths. Like I said, before 10 minutes ago, because I'm guessing that's how much time probably elapsed in all this, uh, you know, none of this existed. This was all just stuff to scare kids. Like, like, can you imagine, like, as a kid, you know, all of a sudden the boogeyman actually shows up. <laughs> you know, like, it's, you know, it, it's these were children's stories to scare you at, when you're kids. It, they weren't real, um, and and now they're here. Um, so, I, I I just that that whole I love the way Robert Jordan does that, where it's um, it, it is a, it is a little tropish, but at the same time, it's I, I love the way he he describes it and that, that feeling of. Uh, uh, just sheer panic and, and fear mixed with dis- disbelief. I mean, even though right. he's seen it in front of them because for so long they've been myth legend, you know, whatever it, it, it's not like it immediately sets in. Like he sees it and goes, Oh, guess we were wrong all these years. Like it takes a while for the mind to process that, you know? Sure. So, so yeah, so Narg comes and tries to talk to Rand and Rand finally says, okay, oh, fine. I'll listen to the, the merge all and lowers the sword and immediately Narg, Narg, lunges at at rand uh which is also another little fun action scene and and rand of course gets the blade up just in time and impales narg um so there's thoughts about this scene and how this interaction went rand is not just a wuss he's a moron um <laughs> i've i've communicated with bad guys and uh never once <laughs> was uh, one of the stipulations that i lower my weapon that would be a horrible, horrible idea. Like, yeah, we can talk, but uh, I'm maintaining my position. So, anyway. I mean, it's really good to to note, though, that he is, in his reaction, he had his first kill. True. Um, and he still gathered enough information, so he still had his wit about him, uh, and he was able to assess the fact that, first off, like the fades essentially put fear into the minds of the um good grief to this other character into Nargle sure. like he was afraid of who was coming mm-hmm. and on top of that um he was able to assess that he didn't have much time before he had to get the heck out of there sure well, I think as, as far as that goes, like he gathers the materials, he goes back to his dad. Like... Sure. So a couple of things about gathering materials. So he gathers everything from his house and goes to the barn and the cow, cow and the horse are gone. Bella's gone. Uh, the cart's all broken. You know, he's trying to make a litter or something like that. And I just wanted to point out when he chops at the cart to get the pieces to make the litter, the blade doesn't dull. And this was hardened ashen wood uh uh ash tree wood i think is what it said and um you know hardened wood it's one thing to chop through seasoned wood it's another thing to you know find hardened wood to 
try to chop through that, especially with a sword. Um, and um, I think they just do a good, really good job explaining how something special about this sword. That's kind of what I wanted to put that. We got an enchanted blade on our hands. Yeah. Well, man, I didn't even think the enchanted, but uh, definitely. But I, I was going back to, you know, a, a samurai type sword made by some master swordsman. And, uh, you know, that style sword, it's it's meant for it's light, it's it's agile, but it's twice as strong as like the average steel that's out there sort of thing. And it's not a sword that just anybody can get their hands on. So when I say made by some like master blacksmith, whatever sword maker, I mean like there might be one or two people in the world that can make them like that. So I'm not saying that's evidence of that right there, but it, it kind of lends to that. That's a possibility here. Sure. So yeah, he gets back to Tam with all the supplies and it kind of ends there. Tam's a lot worse and here all Rand's thinking is I need to get back to the village. And that's, he's kind of focused just on that right now and kind of we cut. Um, to the end of this chapter. So overall thoughts, I mean, this is our first action. So, um, um, uh, you know, the first four chapters are very much world building. We meeting characters We're we're learning about the scene and the setting. Uh, and then this is kind of where this, I think the story actually starts, but, um, get your thoughts. I mean, it definitely is where my interest picked up a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'll I'll still give Rand a chance. I mean, <laughs> he's room for growth because yeah, we have so many books ahead of us, and if he's with us the whole way, like uh, he's got to shape up. And he and he's young, and he's got some stuff to learn, whatever. But um, I was a little less than impressed. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up for this uh this week's uh episode. Um, next time we'll be covering actually three chapters. So the next three chapters, chapter. I guess that's chapter six, seven, and eight. Um, uh, they're shorter chapters. That's why we're doing three. Um, and, and a lot of them are actually, I wish they just combined two of them together because it just kind of flow. Um, but anyway, so we're going to do three chapters. Um, where to find us? Uh, we're on social media. Like I said, we've had a big boom in the last week on a lot of different places. Um, we're at The Wheel Reads at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places you can find us. Our email address is thewheelreads at gmail.com. We have a Discord server that actually is starting to get some people in it. We will interact with you there. It's a, it's, it's, I know it's a lot of people that's foreign, but uh, I think Ian and Chris can speak to this. They never used it before, but it's, I like it because it's just a different platform that allows you to interact with people in a different way that's not Facebook, and you, it's, it's more inclusive. So um, you guys can speak on that if you want, but... We are insomnia. Yeah, Discord. Yeah, we're we're up all night. You can message at any time, and Alan or I at least will probably respond. So, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm the one that's horrible about responding on there. I will say that um, I'm getting used to Discord. It's actually pretty user friendly, and it gives you options. Like, I don't touch the spoiler section as much as I want to, and trust me, it has definitely been tempting there's only um, one spoiler in there right now and that's uh for the black tower andrew added uh in there that uh um that batman drops nuclear bomb on on gotham harbor at the end um that was a spoiler no point in reading anymore <laughs> uh but like it, it just it, it's 
it's an awesome platform. And of course, I, I'm not the insomniac, but um, I am jumping on there every now and then and giving my two cents. But I love the the conversations that are happening there. Like I learn more about um, doing podcasting, reading our uh, Discord than I've ever wanted to know. Sure. <laughs> and those of you that are first time readers with Chris and I, uh, please, for my sake, hop on there um, because it it's nice uh, interacting with some other folks that have been around Wheel of Time for a while, but. It's been a lot of fun talking to Chris and hearing Chris's point of views because he's seeing this at the exact same time as me. So if we got more people like that, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. Sure. You Definitely. So yeah, Discord's a place. The link's down below for that. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode again, Patreon's a great way for you to support us. Um, there's a link for that as well. Um, other than that, any service that, you're, that you uh, listen to us on, I think we're just about on everything at this point. Um, um, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, uh, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast. I, I, I don't know a platform or not. If we're not on a platform, send me an email, send me a message, let me know. I'll try to get us on there. But any services you are watching us, our platform you're, you're watching us, listening to us, um, go ahead and uh, you know like, uh, subscribe to us or follow us and write a review that helps us get up in the ratings and, 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 and recommendations for other people trying to find podcasts. So that would mean a whole lot to us. Um, if, if you could at least do that for us. Um, other than that, I think that's it for this week. Um, and if you guys have anything else you want to add, I think uh, ready to sign off for the night. Peace. I'm ready for the next fight scene. Bring it. All right. <laughs> Till next time. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See you all next time.